You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena and pastor of Christ the King University Parish in Missoula, Montana. My first three years as a priest, I was in Butte and at Butte Central. And every year we would take the eighth graders to Washington, D.C. and New York City. We'd do the first couple days in D.C. and then we'd move over to New York and we'd always arrive late at night to New York. And every year the tour company would say, okay, it's nine o'clock, so you know, go upstairs to your room and you know, go to bed. And I would say, kids, drop your bags. We're going out on Times Square till 1 a.m. And uh, tour company would get all mad. They'd be like, oh, it's, it's late night and it's New York City. I'm like, ah, oh, you work for us. Get out of our face. So, so we'd, we'd go out, and the first year I made a stupid kind of rookie mistake. I, I just kind of said, hey kids, you know, so you know, it's still New York City late at night. You know, this, it's a lot better than it was in the 90s, but it's still, you know, not the safest place in the world. So stay close. And I was kind of nice about it. And within an hour, two kids are just gone. We have no idea who they are. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. I was, I was acting all cool, and now I've lost two kids. So we, when, when we found them, I gathered them up, and I put the fear of God in them. I told them exactly what death was, and that they would likely suffer it if they got out of my sight again. So why did I do that? What was my goal? Was it to make them miserable, to restrict their freedom, to make them servile and obedient to me? No, it was to set a firm boundary and a reasonable boundary within which they could be completely free but outside of which they were actually in danger. Their lives were in danger. And so I wanted to make it so clear that they would not even be tempted to step outside of that boundary. And, you know, most of the kids on that trip probably don't even remember that talk because they knew I loved them and they also knew, I mean, they also had fun and no one died, so it worked out. (laughs) So we're coming to the end of ordinary time. The reason I tell that story is because the stories that we will hear this Sunday and then the first two Sundays of Advent are on the final judgment. They're on the end of time. So we come to the end of ordinary time, enter into the new liturgical year, which is the first Sunday of Advent. And as we go into the end of the year and into the beginning, we meditate on the end of time. And then as we move further into Advent, that third and fourth Sunday, we talk about the first coming of Christ. So in the incarnation as we get closer to the feast of Christmas. And so why is it in these weeks that we meditate on the end of time, on the judgment, the final judgment that we will face in our death or in the second coming of Christ? What is helpful? Why does the church ask us to do that each year? So this week and those first two weeks of Advent, I want to speak to of different things about the final judgment. I want to meditate on that. So this week, in particular, I want to speak to the particular judgment, which is the judgment that we will face the day of our death. Now, I will say that this teaching is, more than any other teaching, the biggest cause of anxiety amongst Christians. I hear more about the anxiety that's provoked by the, the, the final judgment about, of our souls than anything else. And mainly, we as empathetic people can't comprehend someone being cast 
into hell, denied eternal life, and made to suffer eternal punishment. We just can't imagine that. We wouldn't wish that on our worst enemy. We wouldn't wish that on our junior high bully or Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or anyone. I mean, no one with an ounce of empathy could ever wish eternal punishment upon anyone. So if we, who are selfish sinners and we know it, would not wish hell upon anyone, how could a perfectly loving and merciful God allow for it? And that's a hard question. So we need to think about that. So I want to maybe just point to three things and, and then just dig into them a little deeper. What I think first, we don't comprehend the magnitude of our sin and what it does to our soul and to those whom we hurt. We don't comprehend it. We, we underestimate what it is. Second, I don't think we pay attention to the thing for which we will actually be judged. So at the end of our lives, what are we actually going to be judged upon? What's the, what's the criterion God is going to use in our judgment? I think, we, I think we misinterpret what that actually is going to be. And then third, I think we mistake what heaven is and what hell is. I think we don't, we think heaven and hell are very different things than they are. So first, sin. When, how does someone like St. Francis or St. Teresa of Calcutta say something like, I'm the worst of all sinners? Because it, it sounds like just a sort of false humility. And of all people, I don't think St. Francis or St. Teresa of Calcutta are falling into false humility. They're pretty honest people. So how is it that they think that, or that they would say something like that, late in their lives, when they're obviously not the greatest of all sinners? Well, I think what it is, is that they actually comprehend what sin is, and how devastating it is to our souls. And yet, comprehending it, they still fall into it from time to time. So it's kind of like, when I think back to fifth grade Kirby, and the horrible things that I said to people, and the horrible jokes that I told. I had no idea how mean those things actually were. I was a, I don't, I'm not gonna tell the stories, but I was a very mean kid. I don't know why. I, my brain wasn't fully developed, I don't know. I, I, on, on a real level, because I taught fifth graders later, and I know just how mean and petty they are. They just don't comprehend it. If I said the same things now, as a priest, that I said in fifth grade, would they be infinitely worse? Yes. If I said any of them, then I would actually, it would actually be much more serious. And so we compare ourselves to the great saints in that way. As we grow holier, we actually begin to comprehend just how terrible those things are. And yet, it actually doesn't bring despair, it brings hope. Because as we realize the nature of sin, we actually realize more and more how great the cross was. So it's as we grow to comprehend what, what we've done, we grow to comprehend what Christ has done. Because if we don't actually take sin seriously, then we can't take the cross seriously. Because if sin isn't serious, then why would Jesus come and die for it? Why would God, the Son of God die upon the cross for it if it's not serious? So, actually, as we, as we grow to comprehend our sin, first, we're inspired more and more to rid our lives of it, but also, we see more and more the greatness of the cross, and it actually brings hope. 
So next, what is it that we're actually going to be judged for then? So what, what is the judgment and upon which, what things are we judged? First, think about when you go to confession. What is it that you usually confess? So when I go to confession, I'm usually confessing like the things that I've done, you know, the sins that I've committed. And when we look at what Jesus, when Jesus does talk about hell and people going there, I can't think of a single part point in scripture where he talks about people going there because of the sins they committed. All right. So when Jesus talks about hell, it's not that that's impossible, but when he talks about it, he talks about it in reference to the things we failed to do. So Matthew 25 in particular, what does he say? You, I was, I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was in jail and you did not visit me. I was hungry and you did not feed me. All these different things that we have failed to do. And so he says, and because of that, you are cast out. And they say, what, Lord? You know, how is this possible? Then the rich man and Lazarus. When the rich man, what does he do? Nothing. That's the point. He walks by Lazarus every day and fails to care for his needs. The rich man could have been virtuous. He could have been great in the practice of chastity. But in the end, he didn't care for the poor. What does that point to? It points to pride. This total feeling of self-worth and lack of need to care for those who go without. So, it's sins of omission. The sins, the things we fail to do. Those are the things upon which we will be judged. And that makes so much more sense. It makes more sense for the Lord to point to the things we our failure to serve the poor than to point to things maybe we struggled and failed in. So second, the, the second thing upon which Jesus seems to judge us is a failure to know him. Because the whole goal, the whole goal of our existence is to come to know the Lord. It's to come to know who God is and be in relationship with him. So the five foolish virgins who, who fail to keep oil in their lamps. They come late to the party, and what does God say? He doesn't say, oh, get away from me. Uh, you did this and this and this. He said, no, you cannot enter the feast because I do not know you. Or those, he says, all those who cry, Lord, Lord, we, we performed miracles for you. We preached the word. We did all these great things for you. And he says, I do not know you. So those are the things upon which we're judged. And that's way different, I think, than what, the way we conceive of the final judgment. We'll be judged upon what, what we did for those who go without, and did we know the Lord. All those other things, those things we confess, those struggles that we have with sins of commission, the things we commit, those will come along. The virtue will grow in us if we grow in charity. Those things matter, but we will grow in them as we grow in charity. So then finally, what is heaven and what is hell? Now, I can't go into this in any detail because I'm already at the end of my homily. So heaven, to be very as simple as possible, is perfect love. Now, perfect love is the most difficult thing in the world. It is not the pleasant love we think of. It is selfless love. If we're not perfect in love, we cannot enter heaven. And if we aren't perfect in, in love, we would hate heaven. So just imagine living with the missionaries of charity 
who spend their days picking those dying people off the streets, cleaning their wounds, picking maggots out of their skin, dressing them, and sitting with them and praying with them while they die. That's perfect love. Now you can imagine doing that for two weeks. Could you imagine doing that for eternity? Loving in that way, every day, all day, for eternity. Now, if, if that actually makes you sort of anxious, which it probably does, if you're really thinking about it, then we have some work to do in perfect love. Those who go to hell are those who choose not to enter into heaven. And I don't mean choose in terms of like, oh, I don't want to be with you, Lord. I want to be in eternal punishment. What they, what they say is, I, I love myself more than I love you, God. And I choose me over you. And, and there are those who will choose themselves over God. What can God do about that? Nothing. We're free. And if we choose ourselves, we choose hell. So as we come to the end of our lives, we continually examine, am I living my life for God and for neighbor, or am I living my life for myself? That's, that's the, in the end, the thing upon which we will be judged. Every action takes us toward God or brings us into ourselves. So we choose love and grow in love. And then heaven will be a joyful yes for us, and the Lord will invite us in as those who know and love him. What, what is then, uh, what do we do with this? What does all this mean? What does God want of us? First, that we come to know him. That we come to know him and then feel that great call to serve the poor. And as we serve those who go without, both materially and spiritually, uh, as we serve them in that great love for the Lord and for them, then we will joyfully grow more and more toward that love that makes us capable of heaven. So that's our examination for the week. Uh, and then we'll, we'll move in to a more sort of large-scale picture uh, of what that looks like in future homilies. So we invite the Lord into our lives in a new way this day.